Pray with me. Father, we're about to read and study your word. This isn't something that we can do lightly because we, without your help, we can't understand it. Without your help, we can't apply it. So, Father, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit and move among us. Open our ears and eyes that we will see and hear your words. Open our hearts to take it, plant it deep within the soil of our souls, that it may bear much fruit in days to come. In Christ's name, amen. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we are this morning. We have been working our way through Hebrews, and we come this morning to Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 28. Maybe you have seen it at some point, watching a football game. Uh, a coach is trying to get a player's attention, and so he grabs the face mask of the player, and he pulls them in close, and who knows what he's saying, but uh, probably can't say it from the pulpit, at least some of it. But, but fusses at him, yells at him, gets his attention, and then sends him on his way. Have you ever seen a, a coach do that? That's what God has done this week with me with one of the verses of this passage. Uh, we're going to read all of Hebrews 9, 15 through 28, and then we're going to focus in where God has taken my face mask and, and drawn my attention this morning. So stand with me as we read the Word of God. Hebrews 9, 15 through 28, this is God's Word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Therefore, he says, he is the mediator of a new covenant, talking about Christ, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all of the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it is necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with those rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer, have to have to have, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, 
He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Pray with me. Father, that's a mouthful. How much more so for you to have done it all? Praise be to your name. Shape us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 15 has gripped me this, this week for the last couple of weeks. Now it starts with the word therefore. And there's an old preacher that I, uh, I had um, used to say, whenever a verse starts with therefore, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. Right? Therefore is a continuation. It's the next step of the argument. So what he has just talked about in verses 11 through 14 has been the sacrifice that Christ brought into that true temple, into the heavenly holy of holies, if you will, the very throne room of God. You see, the earthly stuff is just copies. Uh, in verse, in chapter 10, verse 1, he's going to call it a shadow. But, but the heavenly is the reality. And so Christ has entered the real holy of holies. He's entered the true temple in heaven. And he's made this offering. And he didn't just offer the sacrifice of bulls or goats or rams or sheep, lambs. He doesn't just offer those things. I mean, after all, those animals weren't exactly willing participants, right? He offers his own blood. He offers a sacrifice that he himself is giving. So he has this superior sacrifice in this superior temple. In the process, his offering goes far beyond what the Old Testament could do. The Old Testament law could sanctify the flesh. It could cleanse the external but because of the sacrifice Christ is making, he's able to cleanse the inside. To purify our conscience, he's, the author of Hebrews says, away from the dead works to serve the living God. And now here in verse 15, we have therefore. In light of the fact that Christ has made this perfect sacrifice in this true temple and thereby has provided a means for the cleansing not only of our flesh, but of our souls. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Mediator. That might bring to your mind the idea of an arbitrator. Two people are trying to come to an agreement. So someone acts as a party between them. Someone this guy trusts and someone that guy trusts. And he steps between them and he says, all right, here's what you want. Here's what you want. Let's try to find some common ground. But I think the word mediator means more than just arbitrator. Otherwise, he'd have used the word arbitrator. Otherwise, he'd have just said that he's the one that brokers the deal. In fact, in commercial use, this word would be used for the guy brokering the deal trying to get everybody to agree to the contract. But Jesus does more than just broker the deal. He doesn't just make a working relationship between God and us. He goes beyond that. He removes the things that, that break us apart from God. 
He removes the barriers and the separations. He, he does something more than just get the parties talking to one another and get the parties to make an agreement. He brings us into communion with God. And so there's another aspect of this mediation that Jesus does more than just making us agree with God. He brings us close to God. And that's an amazing truth to consider. Think about that for just a moment. The whole idea of death is separation. And the wages of sin is death. Sin, at its very core, separates us from God. That's what it does. We need someone to bring us back to God, and that's what Christ does. It causes us to be isolated not only from God, but from other people. And so in Christ, we have this mediator. We have this one who brings us back into right relationship with God. And because of that, into right relationship with one another, too. The author of Hebrews really wants his readers to get this. You see, they have grown up believing in a system that just wasn't good enough. The system was good. God had designed it. But he designed it to bring them to the place where they recognize sin and are looking for a savior. Now the savior has come. And so now we don't trust in the blood of bulls and goats anymore. Now we don't trust in the temple and the offerings and the incense and the sacrifices and the whole system of the high priest making these offerings before God, praying these prayers before God. We don't trust in that because we have a mediator of a new covenant, a covenant that doesn't just teach us the law, but puts the law in our hearts, a covenant that doesn't just give us a way to be right with God externally, but cleanses us from within and makes us commune with God eternally. You see, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. This new covenant does what the old covenant could never do. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. He wants us to find in Christ a hope that remains firm, that sure and steadfast anchor that he talks about in chapter 6. <clears throat> Anchored securely in the bedrock of Jesus Christ. But you know, it is Resurrection Sunday. And so if all we do is we focus on the death of Christ, we miss part of the picture. I'm thankful that Christ died. I mean, it's, it's by his blood. We've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And what's our testimony? The Lamb, right? I'm thankful Christ died. But you know, if Christ had only died, if all he had done was wipe away our sins and paid the sacrifice that cleansed us from sin and made us commune with God, how do we know that that effect keeps going on? How do we know that we stay right with God for all eternity? How do we know that sometime down the road, God doesn't say, you know, Jesus died for your sins, but... Now you've committed more sins. How do we know that we are secure for all eternity? I, I, I want to make, I, I make an argument for you this morning. 
that the resurrection does more than just make us right with God. That's what his death accomplished. The resurrection keeps us right with God. In fact, I want to make to you an argument that Jesus is our eternal mediator. He's not just the mediator from a time past. He's not just doing this one thing back here, and so he was our mediator back then. He is our mediator today, and he is our mediator forever. And how do I know that? How do I know for sure that I have someone who will always be able to bring me into the presence of God? How do I know that I will always be able to stand before the living God and know that my sins have been atoned for and know that I have no guilt before him? How do I know that? Because my mediator ain't dead. You see, if he had just been dead, he would have done something great. But since he lives, he's still doing something great. I want to make to you the argument this morning that the resurrection guarantees our eternal communion with God. It's not a communion that happens over a little period of time and then, and then we just kind of move on to something else. It's not something that makes us right with God at one point, but now we got we to keep doing this over and over and over and over again. It's not just something that, that makes us right with God on one level, but not on all the rest. And now we got to fix all the other problems. You know, have you ever had one of those kind of things where you fix one problem only to find out there's another problem? Or you're trying to fix one problem and then there's another problem that comes up. And then you're trying to fix that problem and another problem comes up. It feels like every time I try to get out a lawnmower or a weed eater, I go through this cycle of problems. I can't get it to start. Hush. Now you hush. I didn't ask for your opinion. <laughs> He's exactly right. That's, that's why I keep having these problems. Because it sits for a while. But this cycle of problems, how do we know that's not the way with God? We know because our mediator lives. Job even said, I know that my Redeemer lives. So, how do we know this is what the resurrection does? Because he lives. Look back in verses 24 to 28 and, and look through the lens of the resurrection. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. So we have Christ going in to the Father's presence. Watch this. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Do you notice the present tense at the end of that verse? At first, it uses a past tense. Christ has entered. That's a present. That's a past tense. He walked into heaven. But then you notice it changes to now. And where is Christ now? In the same spot. He hadn't left heaven. He's still at his post. Think of that. Man, he's got to have a lot of overtime. Since the day that he comes into heaven with that perfect sacrifice, he remains at his post. 
And why is he there? Why is he in the presence of God? Is he in the presence of God because he's finished all his work and now he's going to sit down and relax? No, he's there on our behalf. That sounds, that sounds like a mediator, doesn't it? That sounds like someone who's representing us before God. Hmm. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. You see, the offering has already been made. It doesn't need to be made again. How do I know that it doesn't need to be made again? Because he lives. You see, if he had just been dead, the power stops there. The power stops with that sacrifice. Every year, year after year, the high priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on the, the veil, on the pieces of, of furniture in the temple. He'd have to do it every single year. But Christ doesn't go every single year before God sprinkling his blood. No, his sacrifice, his sacrifice and his resurrection prove that that's enough. As the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. But then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Now, why would he have to do that? Because if he had to keep offering the sacrifice over and over and over again for it to be effective, he'd have to keep dying over and over and over again. No, no, he died one time and now he lives continually offering to God that sacrifice that he has already offered and that will be enough yesterday, today, forever. Because he lives. If he was dead, he wouldn't be able to do that. But we serve a risen Savior, not a dead one. And, and, and then look, and he says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. There's a, there's a nice little discussion, end of what ages? to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That put away, that's the same word that's used to describe casting out demons. It's not a setting it down over here or packing it up in a box and gently putting it in the attic until next Christmas when you get that stuff out or whatever the holiday happens to be. No, this is, this is a throwing it in the trash. Go ahead and rip it up before you throw it away too. Break down the box, you know, so it takes up less space, all that. This is, this is him throwing it away by his own sacrifice. And then, verse 27, and you know, we die one time and then we're judged, right? He died one time too. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. This time, not to deal with sin. Actually, the, 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 the Greek phrase is actually without sin. To save those who are eagerly awaiting him. See, he died once and he dealt with sin. But there's a second coming where he's not dealing with sin. He's dealing with us. You ever seen a dead person come back again? Like, still dead? That don't work. Zombies are not real. No, to come a second time, he's got to be alive. 
he is. You see, this, this resurrection, it doesn't just mean that Jesus has gone all the way with his sacrifice. It means that he's still active, still doing the work. He's still mediating for us. He still stands at the guard, at the ready, by the presence of God on our behalf, mediating between us and God. Peter says in, in 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You can't have living hope in a dead guy. 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. Notice the present tense. Not past. There was one mediator. But he died, and now, now we're just kind of on our own. Don't screw this up. How many of you are good at not screwing it up? Yeah, neither am I. <laughs> I got the right date on the bulletin this time. Amen. <laughs> I'm sure there's another mistake somewhere in there, but I, got, I at least got that part right. No, we are really good at messing things up, aren't we? But we serve a living mediator. And he's really good at covering sin and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Gerald Bray wrote in a, uh, a book that was a survey of theology. So it gives you, basically, you look up different theological terms and it gives you a brief description of what that term is and some scripture and some thoughts about it. This is what he says. He says, the son's work of mediation lasts forever. It does not cease once our sins are forgiven, but remains a permanent feature of our relationship with God. A relationship which is impossible apart from our union with Christ. The fact that Jesus lives as our mediator means that we will always stand before God through him. We are dependents of Jesus Christ. Talk about a great break on your taxes. He's got lots of dependents. We are dependent on him. In him, one of the scriptures says, we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, 28, in fact. See, we depend on Christ for even our most basic needs. But beyond that, we depend on Christ to defend us. John tells us that when we sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ. That's 1 John 2, 1. We depend on Christ to remain. And thankfully, he's promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We depend on Christ to make us righteous and for that matter, to keep us righteous. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, he became sin who knew no sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. We are so dependent on our living mediator. A living mediator that guarantees us an eternal inheritance. A mediator who guarantees us an eternal redemption. He is our eternal mediator. <clears throat> we sometimes focus so much 
we tend to get misfocused sometimes, and, and it depends on some of us. Some of us focus on the little details and we miss the big picture. You can't see the forest for the trees, right? Some of us are so worried about the nitpicky that we miss everything that God is doing. Don't be like that. This morning is a chance to recount all of God's wondrous things, all of his works, all of what he has done. Don't miss the big picture of what the resurrection means because you're too focused on, well, did, did, did this thing happen or did that happen? Too focused on, well, we got to make sure all the eggs are, are filled with candy and treats and money and stuff. Don't miss it because you're so focused on the little details that I've got to make sure that this is done right. I've got to make sure that we've got enough things for that. Or I've got to make sure of all these kinds of things. Don't miss the big picture because you're too worried about the little tiny details. At the same time, don't miss the beauty of the details because you're too lazy to look for it. When we look at Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead, we see all of these little, tiny details throughout Scripture that all come together. What do you think that big picture is made of? It's made of little details. And, and, and if you'll take the time to see them and to see how they all come together, you'll see that the resurrection isn't just about a, 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 a day. It's not just about remembering that Jesus rose from the grave. That's important. It's not just about celebrating a day. It's more than that. It ought to impact how we live every day. So how do we live in light of the resurrection? What do we do? Well, if we have, have now access to God permanently and for all eternity, then why do we live like God doesn't exist sometimes? If we're dependent on Christ, why do we insist on, I do it myself? If Christ is our mediator, then why don't we follow what God's Holy Spirit tells us to do? Thinking, oh, well, I could never do that. I don't have the gifts to do that. You know, I would, but you know how my back is. Why don't we just obey? Jesus didn't die on that cross and rise from the grave for you to choose whether or not to do what God's telling you to do. For you to nitpick his plan and say, well, I don't think that's the right thing for me, so I'm just going to do this other thing instead. No. No, that's sin. He died and rose so that you wouldn't live in sin anymore. Even the soft sins of, I do it my way. We also don't want to make the mistake of hearing this story and becoming numb to it. The first time, first bite you take of a meal, you can taste all the flavors. The second bite, you can taste the flavors pretty well too. Third, fourth, fifth. Later on in the meal, you don't taste all the flavors nearly as much, do you? Especially if you're eating something that has real strong flavor. It just kind of hits your tongue and stays with you, and, 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 and then you don't really taste the rest of it. If it's too sour or too bitter or so sweet, you don't really get the full flavor of it anymore, do you? You become numb to it. In some cases, literally. 
you really can't feel your tongue because of how spicy this is or something along those lines. You get, um, you go to the dentist to have some work done on a tooth. They, they put some numbing gel on there. Which they says is supposed to prevent you from feeling the shot, but that doesn't quite work. You still feel the shot, right? But then, but then you start to feel the side of your face swell up. And you can't do the dog anymore. Yeah, because it's all swollen. For long, you can't feel anything. Don't let that happen with the resurrection. Don't let it become so old hat and so mundane and so normal that you just don't hear, you don't see anymore. Don't let the resurrection become another Sunday school story that you've been hearing since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. Live in light of our risen mediator. You see, he didn't rise from the dead for us to ignore him. He rose from the dead for us to exalt him, to show that he was exalted, for us to magnify him, to see him as more and more and more of who we need, for us to become more like him, willing to give ourselves for God's purposes. He didn't die and rise from the dead for us just to go about and do our thing and hardly ever think of him except for maybe a few morning devotional minutes or an hour on Sundays. He died and he rose again to change everything. Don't let it just be another story. It's not Mother Goose. Don't let the resurrection be a vacuum attachment. I live my life a certain way. I do what I want to do. And every now and then I, I pay homage to God. Maybe I drop a 20 in the offering plate. Maybe, I, maybe I, I, I give some lip service to God. Or maybe you're serious and you do all, you go all the way around. But you're still living in such a legalistic mindset. You, you think that these are the things that make you holy before God. That being in church and giving to the church and all that you offer and do and, and the classes that you've taught and all these things will make you right before God. No, Jesus didn't rise from the dead for you to earn your salvation. He already earned it. Jesus rose from the dead so that we will be totally dependent on him. He rose from the dead so that he would be the center of our lives. He would be our focus. He would be the one that we live for. He rose from the dead to show us what real life actually looks like. So don't squander it. Don't waste it. Church, he rose from the dead because he was perfect. And that resurrection is God's seal of approval. Well done. He gave him the seal at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The resurrection is the exclamation point. It says, see, I told you, don't let it just be something for an Easter card. Center your life on the risen Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. God, thank you for turning our focus to you. 
God, don't let anybody leave here without applying it to their lives. Don't let anybody walk out of this building. Don't let anybody in their car go into their houses. Don't let anybody go out to eat. Don't let anybody leave from this place without pointing to that specific spot that they have been ignoring the resurrection, that they that they have been focused on other things and, and pointing there and saying, this is the spot. This is what needs to change in you. Father, don't let anyone, not even me, off the hook. Convict us of our sin and bring us to repentance so that we may follow you, that we may live in your resurrection power. Our great mediator, Jesus Christ, died and rose that we may be one with you and one with each other. By your Holy Spirit, shape us so that we can fulfill that purpose. Amen.